0: We're going down to the river. I was preparing for this message and I realized what Brother Will did to me. You know, on Sunday we had Todd Johnson, Wednesday, Jason Nockan, Sunday, John Russell. One of these is not like the others. Two of these men are accomplished pastors, two are well known for their preaching ability, and I know at least one of them has a testimony that will absolutely. Blow your mind. And then you have this third guy, me. I have no official title. My name is not wildly, widely or narrowly recognized across the UPC. And it's quite likely that someone here tonight has heard my name for the first time. But you see, the truth is, it's not about me. It's not about John Russell. It's not about Todd Johnson. It's about Jesus. You see, God is no respecter of persons. God places very little value on our perceived reputations. He has little regard for our titles. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying these are great men whose ministries have touched the lives of many. But you don't have to be a pastor to touch the lives of others, you don't have to be known as a great preacher to impact the lives of those around you. You don't ever have to stand in a pulpit or on a platform or hold a microphone to bring someone closer to Jesus. You see, if I look back over the course of my life, I've done so much more for the kingdom of God off of this platform without a microphone than I could probably ever do up here with a microphone. But I'm here tonight to tell you that if God can use me, If God can use someone who just turned 34 and has a 17-year-old son, that's a math test. The look on your face tells you when you figured it out. For those who don't like math, the answer is 15. For those who don't quite remember 15 years old, that's a sophomore in high school. Now, I'd love to tell you that from that point, I gave my life to God and never made any other mistakes, I'd love to tell you that, but it'd be a lie. I'd love to tell you that from that point forward when things got bad, because there were definitely tough times, that I turned to God and the things of God for comfort, but that too would be a lie. What I will tell you is that your past doesn't matter. Your mistakes do not matter. Your talents that you have today do not matter. It is your relationship with God that matters. You see, I'm not up here tonight because I'm a talented speaker. I'm not up here tonight because I have a title. I'm here because I have a relationship with Christ. Your impact to your world does not revolve around your capacity, your talent, or your abilities. Your impact to your world revolves around your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, I'm here tonight to talk about relationship, not rules. Because our interaction with God, our interaction with this thing called religion, with Jesus, it's a relationship. It's not bound or defined by a set of rules. It is a living, breathing relationship. Because relationships are just that. They are living things. If I think about one of the most significant relationships in my life outside of Jesus, it's with my wife, it's through my marriage. And it is absolutely a living, breathing thing. When we first started dating our relationship looks significantly differently than what it does now. Our first date was at a very fine dining establishment. It's called Taco Bell. That's right, that's how I got her, Taco Bell. (laughs) Now after 13 years of marriage, if I said, hey babe, let's go to a nice restaurant, and I brought her to Taco Bell, It wouldn't work out very well for me at all. I'm not sure how it worked out well for me the first time around either. (laughs) But not only that, but the way we talked to each other, the way we interacted, it was completely different back when we first started dating till now. Not only that, but it has evolved through that time. Me and my wife, when we first were married after a couple years, We had our challenges like everybody does, right? That's marriage, ways it goes. We watched a series on YouTube. It's still out there. It's called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. I don't know if the guy's a Christian or not, but the guy gives some really good, sound, logic advice. It makes a lot of sense. And if you're struggling in your marriage, you don't quite understand why your wife does the things she does, or you don't understand why your husband is so ignorant, this guy does a lot to explain that to you and help you understand why you are so different. But one of the key points that I took out of that lesson is that there's a five to seven year hump in marriages. Now, this is speaking generically, so it doesn't apply to everybody. But in general, marriages, you start off married here, then things get tougher, tougher, tougher for five to seven years. Then after that, it gets better, better, better. Now, for those who've been married for two years, you're like, oh dear God, three more years. But believe me, it does get better. I know for at least me and my wife, that was absolutely true. The first five years. You're just learning how to live with somebody, figuring out who they are. We dated for two years before we got married. We still didn't know each other at all (laughs) until we lived together. But for the first five years, our relationship was very different for the next five years. And it's the same with God. You see, rules are stagnant and fixed. Rules like laws, it's black and white. You're going 70 into 35, you're lucky if you get a ticket, Right? One of my pet peeves, whenever people say, oh, it's a rule, but we're going to make exceptions to those rules. That's why I dislike the English language growing up in high school. I before E, except after C. It's like, no, look, guys, if it's a rule, it's always I before E. There's no this except after C foolishness. We're not doing that. <laughs> right? But rules are rules. We, I, I would like to think that we could all just agree. If you're supposed to do it, you do it. If you can't, you can't. And that never changes. That's a rule. If you were to open your Bible and begin reading it from the front cover, the first mention of a relationship between God and man would, of course, be between God and Adam. Now, knowing the full scale of the might and power of God in comparison to that of Adam, I find it interesting that God did not set rules in place for how they were to interact. I have a hard time grasping this concept because from the time I was a child to this very day, I've been taught the rules that govern social interactions. When addressing others, especially elders, I was taught to say, yes sir, yes ma'am. When communicating in a business setting, I've been taught to type emails in specific formats, to speak clearly, avoiding jargon, and to address, this is one of my personal favorites, address failures directly instead of the person who failed. To give you an example of that, for those who aren't familiar, if somebody doesn't do their job correctly, Say they're putting down the carpet squares, and they put them down crooked instead of putting them down straight. Whenever you address that person, you don't say, hey Jim, you put the crooked squares down, back, down crooked. You say, hey Jim, when these carpet squares were laid down, they were laid in an incorrect manner, so we need to fix them. So by doing that, we're not saying, Jim, you did something bad. We're saying the carpet squares are bad. That's essentially the, the moral of the story. But again, it's rules. And whether good, bad, or indifferent, we typically interact with strangers wearing raggedy clothes on the street differently than the stranger wearing a suit in an office building. Now, knowing that God is the supreme being in existence, the one with whom time begins and ends, I cannot wrap my head around the concept that the rules of interaction were not captured in Scripture. Now, I would imagine the guy would say, now, Adam, when I come around, you bow down, And you just put one finger up and keep your head down until I walk by to let me know you think I'm number one. That didn't happen. You don't find that in Scripture. While the story of Adam and Eve is fairly brief, Genesis 2 and 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, if they heard a voice and they knew who it was, they had a relationship with that person. God didn't give them a set of rules to follow, and the only commands I can read are to name the animals and don't eat of the forbidden tree, yet the relationship existed. You see, that's what God wants with us. He doesn't want to give us a bunch of can-dos and can't-dos. He wants us to have a relationship with him, and through that relationship, we learn who he is, and just like with a family member, with your spouse, with a friend, you learn what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what they will like, what they don't like, that's what our relationship with God should be, and that's what God wants it to be. Of course, the one rule that was in place was broken, because we're humans, and that's what we do. If you tell your child, don't go touch that thing, the first thing they will do is go touch that thing. So, of course, he tells Adam and Eve, don't go eat the fruit. Eve can't do anything but think about the fruit, <laughs> right? Right? But through that, they introduced sin into the world. And sin caused the divide between man and God. In Isaiah 59 and 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You see, once the fruit was eaten, man continued on a downward spiral until the time of Noah, when God was just about ready to wipe man from the face of the earth. Genesis 6 and 8, says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. But most importantly, Noah walked with God. You see, here again we found that Noah found grace because he walked with God. It wasn't that Noah checked checked all the boxes on a checklist to please God. It was his relationship with God that mattered. Of course, the result of Noah's relationship was being able to save himself, his family, and all the beasts that roamed the earth. Now, something else I want you to consider about Noah. God came to Noah and said, hey, I want you to build a boat. And then what did he do? He gave him very detailed instructions on how to build that boat. A lot of times we say, God, I can't do this thing you want me to do. I can't witness to my neighbor. I can't teach him a Bible study because I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know your scripture well enough. I don't know how to explain it. Have you ever considered that Noah probably didn't know how to build the boat? God told him how to build the boat. You see, the truth is if you have a relationship with God and God says, hey, go do this thing, he's not only going to lead you to do what it is he called you to do, he's going to fully equip you with the strength, the knowledge, and the skill set you need to accomplish it. God's desire was, is, and always will be to have a relationship with man, but sin divides man from God. If you start looking for rules in the Bible, like I did, you will undoubtedly end up at the same conclusion that I have and find that the majority of rules that God gave his people are documented in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, it was a different time. There was no Holy Ghost as we experience it today. There was no intermediary between God and flesh, and Jesus had not yet saved the world from their sins. So the divide was still in place. God was longing to have a relationship with his people, but he couldn't do it directly because of sin. In the Old Testament, the priests were the only ones able to enter into the Holy of Holies and experience God's presence. And even, when, even then, when a priest did enter, it was to atone for the sins of the people And a rope was tied around the priest in the event he was slain once beyond the veil. You see, the priests were given very detailed instruction in the process, and it had to be followed correctly because only a righteous man could enter God's presence. God still loved his people in the Old Testament, and it's mentioned numerous times of having compassion for his people, but he could not interact with them directly because man separated himself from God through sin. You know, a lot of times we don't realize the power that we have because it is completely up to us whether God can live in us or not. God is a gentleman. He will not force himself in your life. He will not force himself into your heart, and he will not force his spirit on you. It is a welcome gift, and it's open invitation, and anyone who wants it can get it. But as soon as you step out of his will and you step into sin, you have effectively pushed him out of your life. Because God and sin can't occupy the same vessel. They can't be in the same space. You see, the majority of people in the Old Testament never had a direct relationship with God. Their relationship existed via proxy and through a set of rules to follow. They were delivered from Egypt. They saw the Red Sea part. They ate manna, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, all those things, saw all the miracles that took place, but they were mostly spectators to those events. They were not able to experience the glory of God directly, but they were able to witness the effects. Once Jesus died on the cross, the rules changed. No longer are God's people required to present a sacrifice once a year through the priests to roll their sins forward. No longer is it only the priests who can enter the Holy of Holies and experience the presence of God, and no longer is his presence contained within the Ark of the Covenant, but it is available for each and every one of us through the Holy Ghost. The wages of sin is death, and it is sin that separates us from God. See, the priest had to offer up those sacrifices once a year to keep rolling the sins forward. But Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He died and he shed his blood so that sin barrier no longer exists between Jesus and man. We owe a debt to God for what he did on that cross that we can never repay. But because of his sacrifice, the comforter was able to be sent down from heaven in the Holy Ghost which is God's spirit living inside of us. Looking back to the teachings of the Old Testament, you'll find rules that govern social interactions, legal proceedings, how to set up camp, how and when to pray. I could go on and on. The Old Testament is full of rules, and many of them would seem absolutely crazy if you were to try to put them in place today. In contrast, when you read the New Testament and look at the teachings of Paul, you'll find scriptures such as Acts 15, verses 28 through 29. Which says, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. From which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. Now you see, when I read scripture, I like to understand a few things about that scripture. I want to know the context. I want to know who's talking, who they're talking to, and I want to know the events that happened before and happened after. In this particular passage of scripture, his audience here is the Church of Acts. It's the church where God's Spirit was first poured out. And here we read that according to the Holy Ghost, which is God, it is good to lay no greater burden than these things. There wasn't a giant list of rules. Paul didn't pull out the check box, check the checklist and start checking all the boxes so you have to do all these things. He gave them a handful of things. You see, you have to understand that earlier in the chapter, we find certain men from Judea teaching that unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. They were teaching non-Jews the law of Moses, the Old Testament laws, and telling them the only way they could be saved is if they followed all of these rules. What they did not yet understand is that your salvation is not dependent upon a set of rules, but instead through a relationship with Christ. Do you know that you can't make it to heaven based on pastor's relationship with God? You see, if the only time you ever consume God's word or the things of God is in this church, in these four walls, you may not have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with church. If the only time you crack open your Bible or pray is inside these four walls, you may not have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with church. Brother Shock was here a while back, and he preached on the kingdom zone. Anybody remember that message? There are certain things you don't put in that kingdom zone. As a matter of fact, there's only one thing you put in that kingdom zone, and that's Jesus Christ. Your relationship has to be with Jesus Christ. You can't have a relationship through pastor. You can't have a relationship through a friend. You can't have a relationship through a mentor. You have to have a direct relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there, there are plenty of good, moral, and faithful people who will not make heaven their home. Because they never had a direct relationship with Jesus. Verse 9 of Acts 15 says, And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. You see, it wasn't the rules that the Jews followed, which were passed down through generations, that would lead to their salvation, but rather the purifying of their hearts. And who washes your heart white as snow? Nothing but the blood. We know the song, it's Jesus. He's the only one. If you want more evidence, we can read Acts 19, verses 13 through 16. It says, Then certain of the Vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons, one of Siva, a Jew, and priest of the priest, and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. Paul, I know. Who in the world are you? You see, there's power in the name of Jesus, but look what happened. They said, We adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. It wasn't their relationship, they were dependent on Paul's relationship with Jesus. That demon looks at him and answers back, Who in the world do you think you are? You are nobody. You see, the truth is, There is no five-step program, and there is no quick fix. I cannot give you the right words to say or the right actions to take to salvation. These men did not have a relationship with Christ, and when they called on the name of Jesus, that was reflected. This is another reason why it's the relationship that's important and not the rules. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, what you talk like, where you go, if what you do on the inside isn't in line. Your outward appearance and the way you behave should be a reflection of your relationship with Christ. There have been more new disciples and more new people in the church pushed away from church because the church has tried to push rules on them and push regulations on them to look, to act, to behave a certain way. But I got news for you. It doesn't matter one bit how you act, how you look, if you don't have a relationship with Christ. It's nobody in this church, just to be clear. We don't do that here, right? For the churches that pastors do encourage the members to dress in a self-respecting, holy manner, I applaud them. It's the pastor's job to guard us. He's the shepherd. He's here to guard us, to lead us, to teach us, to feed us. That's what he's here for. He's here to lead us on that spiritual journey, and I have previously and will continually have an open invitation with my pastor and his team to correct me when I step out of bounds. He isn't correcting me because he's angry. He's correcting me because he loves me. And he's worried about my soul. God has charged him to care for this church, and I will absolutely be open to God's correction. You see, the truth is, if salvation came down to dressing a certain way, speaking a certain way, behaving a certain way, and completing certain actions, we could go ahead and cancel church. Because if salvation can be captured on a checklist, we'd just go ahead and write it up. We'd send it to everyone. Say, all right, if you want to go to heaven, check the boxes. If you don't, don't check the boxes. Up to you. But we wouldn't have to come here anymore. In Corinthians, Paul clearly details that the babes in Christ drink milk because they are not yet ready for meat. So who are we to push rules and requirements on people who are not ready if God teaches us through the Bible, not to do so. Now, to give it some more detail, it's not okay to remain a babe in Christ, which Paul also makes abundantly clear. He addresses the church at Corinth regarding their lack of the fivefold ministry. He says he sees many people speaking in tongues when he gets into a church service, but speaking in tongues is for our personal growth. So think about that. fivefold ministry, we need teachers, prophets, evangelists, the works. If we come to church and all we do is pray, we're not building the body. There needs to be time for preaching. There needs to be time for teaching. There needs to be time for evangelizing. There needs to be time for prophesying. All those things need to be active in the ministry. So if we're all just babes in Christ, if we're all just walking around speaking in tongues for our personal edification, we never get there. It's all through a relationship with Christ through the five-fold ministry. You know, we had this great expansion of the building, which is fantastic. But unless we expand our relationships, we're going to be limited. You see, the physical space we occupy is a limiter. I don't, I'm not pretending that's not. There are statistics that prove once a building fills up so much, you've hit capacity, you can't grow anymore. Very true. But in the spiritual world, I've seen too many churches build out physical capacity and not build out spiritual capacity. God can't send us more new saints and converts than what we can handle. If we don't have mature Christians who are willing to build that relationship with Christ outside of the church building on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, at work, at the ball games, in traffic, when that person cuts you off, God bless them. (laughs) And guys, I'm not known for being long-winded and I don't plan on breaking that tonight. We can all stand. But before we leave tonight, I want to encourage you. Because it's easy to get wrapped up in everything that's going on in this world. It's easy to let it eat away at us. The problems of this world, who here doesn't have a problem? I want to know your secret. Because we all got them, every single one of us. It's easy to look at our spiritual walks and get disappointed that we aren't doing more, or that we haven't made it where we want to be. It's easy to look back and see the struggles in our lives and say, God, if it wouldn't have been for that struggle, if it wouldn't have been for that trial, I could have done so much more for you. But the whole time God is looking back at you you saying, if it wouldn't have been for that struggle, you wouldn't be here at all. See, for me personally, and I'm not here to tell my testimony tonight, that's, that's not what tonight's for. But if it wouldn't have been for me having a son at the age of 15, I wouldn't be in this church service tonight. Because you see, for me, I wasn't a worried about living for God for me. I wasn't worried about my own soul. I wasn't worried about me going to heaven. It's like, well, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. But you know what? Once I had that little boy, everything changed. And while that was a trial, that was a challenge, it was tough. That's what kept me in church. That's what grew my relationship with Christ, because I couldn't do it on my own. I had to lean on God to make it through that time. Not that I always did it right, because believe me, I didn't. I did it very wrong sometimes. But that's, it doesn't matter, because God was there the whole time. God wanted that relationship with me so bad, it didn't matter how many times I walked away, how many times I turned my back on him, how many times I said I was sorry There went right back to the same garbage that I was repenting for? Jesus didn't care. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 13 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is Paul talking. It says, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You see, Paul, when I was in Sunday school, our our teachers taught him this killer Saul apostle Paul. Because he was the guy that went around and said, hey, they're preaching in Jesus' name. I'm going to round them up and lock them up because that's not good. The religious leaders at that time said, you shouldn't preach the name of Jesus. It's bad. Paul said, okay, if that's bad, then I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to lock them up. He did everything wrong. But the scripture says he counted him faithful. How many times have we done something to the best of our ability, doing it as right as we can, and then realize we did it wrong all along? Is it just me or somebody else? You don't have to raise your hands, but I know it's not just me. What I'm thankful for is I have a God who builds on a relationship. And because it's that relationship that builds, it doesn't matter how many times I mess up. God knows the intents of our heart. That's what he judges. He judges the intents of your heart. Acts 22, verses 6 through 10 says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. This is Paul. said, And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And I could preach a whole message on just that right there. You see, Paul knew it was God but he didn't know who God was. And a lot of times I think us as Christians, we know that it's God, but we don't really know who God is. We don't really know what God can do in our lives. We don't really fully understand the power that our God has. It says, and I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, And were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. They didn't have the relationship with Jesus. They couldn't hear his voice. Are you wondering why sometimes you're in a dark place and you don't know where to go? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you wonder why sometimes you cry out to God and you can't hear him answer? Do you have a relationship with Christ? And I said, Verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus, and there shall be told thee of all the things which are appointed for thee to do. Now Paul, I love Paul. He's my favorite Bible character. He went from being the terror of the apostles. They were all afraid of him. When he first starts his ministry, he tries to go talk to the apostles, and they're hiding from him because they think he's there to arrest them. He goes from that to writing the majority of the New Testament. That's Paul. And it wasn't that he was a great writer. It wasn't that he did everything right because he didn't. It wasn't that he had some great lineage of pastors in his family. He didn't. It's because he had a relationship with Christ. It's because when God talked to him, he recognized his voice. It's because when God spoke to him, he followed his direction. Church, we all just bow our heads, close our eyes. You know, life can be hard. It's not always easy. My life hasn't always been easy. But I've always had an easy God. God has always been there with his arms wide open. It doesn't matter if you run from him. It doesn't matter if you're mad at him, if you're angry with him. He's there all the same. His arms are wide open, just waiting. He's waiting for us to hear that call. Because he never stops calling out to us. He knows your name. He knows your past. But more than that, he knows your future. You see, we were all born with a purpose, every single one of us. My relationship with Christ doesn't look like your relationship with Christ because my purpose is not your purpose. But that doesn't make any of us more or less important than the other. We're all in the body of Christ. And for the body to function, we all have to do our part. If one of us doesn't do our part, we all suffer.